three. Are we there? There we are. Uh, <clears throat> Christ asks us to completely orient our lives toward him. This is what is supposed to occupy our time. Now, in the text of Matthew 6, the contrast with being oriented toward Christ, just a little less for me, the contrast is being oriented toward the stuff of life. The stuff of life. In other words, food, clothing, and, and that sort of thing. And he says, I want you to let go of that and orient your life toward me. Last week we looked at those principles. Now this week I want to look and answer the question that's on your notes. What are the blessings of living completely for Christ? What are the blessings of living completely for Christ? Because I believe that this passage gives us a series of blessings or promises almost for, in exchange for our dedication to Christ. And the first one is this, the enduring value of our life's activities. Uh, you know, if some guy in Seattle wants to let his building get painted with graffiti and some people want to go paint it, Lord bless them. I don't care about that. I'm not against graffiti per se. I'm not against art. But I think we can all see what a, what a, what a futile, limited orientation of life it is to say the goal of my life is to get a thrill from painting on somebody else's building. And yet Christ says, if you're orienting your life just toward food and clothing, that's, that's just as meaningless because none of it has lasting value. He talks about lasting value and he uses a contrast by talking about the moth and the rust and the thief. The moth would be, uh, he doesn't talk about the treasure, he talks about what destroys the treasure. And so if we want to understand the treasures for those people, we would just turn that around a little bit and say, what, what's the treasure that the moth talks about? Well, it's talking about wool clothing. Okay, um, uh, Wool clothing, rust talking about tools made of iron, thieves talking about possessions of any kind. I got a great deal on a wool suit at Nordstrom Rack once. It had a little hole in it. I thought, ah, we can fix that. When I got it home and looked at it... <laughs> It looked like the stars of heaven. It had all manner of little holes in it. <laughs> and I found out why it was on sale. In the time of Christ, the whole idea of something being moth-eaten, and really into the modern era, something could easily get moth-eaten by being in the closet. Hence, mothballs. Some of you that are young don't even know what that smells like, but there were things you'd put in your closet that smelled, uh, you know, that shooed the moths away. Clothing was an item of value in that day. Today, it's only an item of decoration. You know, there are certain really expensive clothes, but most of us buy clothes and then give them to the goodwill and buy some more clothes and so on. We don't think of it as, as a valuable item like something in the bank. But in that day, uh, a, a garment, especially a wool garment, would be, would be as good as money, if you will. And then, of course, he talks about rust, and they, they would have tools, you know, to, to dig in the ground or, or to cut things or whatever, and, they, and they're subject to rust, and they didn't know about stainless steel and, and so on and some of the things that we have today. And then he talks about thieves breaking in, and it literally says thieves digging in. The word for, in Greek for a thief is one who digs. 
Now, why would that be? It's because the, the, the houses of the common man were made out of, of sun-baked mud bricks. And if you wanted to get into it, you'd just take a sharp object and just cut right through the wall and get in and steal. And so that's the imagery that he's talking about. So what he's saying is you, you can have clothes, you can have tools, you can have your stuff secured in a building, and it still can go away. You can, have, you can put all kinds of time and effort into a home, but as we learned this week, even your home isn't necessarily secure. It only takes a few seconds for it to go. And so Jesus said, look, you can put your effort into all kinds of physical things, but it, they don't last. There's no eternal value. And there's one more significant problem with putting our valuables or having our valuables be the stuff of this life. And that's from this verse right here. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Did you hear about the old miser who, who just, boy, he hated the thought of dying and parting with his money, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some of it with me. So I went to his preacher, his accountant, and his lawyer, and he gave me $10,000 cash. He said, when I die, I want you to put this money in the casket. And so after he died and the funeral was over, these three men were together talking and the preacher said, boy, I just have to confess something. You know, we, we needed that building painted and so I kept $5,000, just put $5,000 in the, in the casket. The accountant said, well, you know, we had a great opportunity to invest in stock and so I only put $5,000 in, kept $5,000 back too. The lawyer said, I'm ashamed of you men. I put in a check for the whole amount. <laughs> you can't take it with you. But Jesus says you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And... And you send it on ahead, as we learned last week, by serving God with your life. It's, it's not a matter of, of, of somehow selling your goods and quitting your job and becoming a monk or, or, or something. We have that imagery of people who are all the time, quote-unquote, serving the Lord. No, it's using our life in the way that honors Him. It's growing in Christ through whatever comes along. And, and as we do that and as we serve the Lord, we send ahead our treasure, but there's also, a, there's also a, a lasting value and enduring value here and now that leads into heaven. The man who most affected my love for God's word went to be with Christ a few months ago. Dr. David Miller was one of my professors in, in Bible college. And he taught me how to understand God's truth, how to apply it to life, and most of all, to seek it only as God's rule and as God's way for my life. And he did that for hundreds, if not thousands, of other students. One of his students is the president of a seminary now. Many of his students are missionaries. Some of them are missionaries we support. Rick and Lisa Kaner will be here next week. They were students of his as well. Can you imagine his treasure in heaven? But... Can you also imagine his treasure here and now? He had a long battle with cancer. 
And he was pastoring right up till near the end of his life. He, he wasn't that old. And he was effective for the Lord. But can you imagine on his deathbed, as he thought back about his life, and he thought about what he'd invested in in his life, do you suppose he thought, I wish I'd have spent more time on food and clothing? Or do you suppose he looked back and said, wow, what a great way to invest my life. Thank the Lord for some enduring value. Talk about a legacy. What a tremendous thing. And we can have it here and now as we see God work in people's lives that we've invested in, as we share with missionaries and they go out and do God's work and we can see the fruit. There's an enduring value to living for Christ. And that is the greatest blessing we can have both now and in eternity. Those who pursue the righteousness of Christ and the work of Christ create a life of enduring value. There's no need for a midlife crisis because at midlife you look back and say, wow, it's been great. There's been great investment and there's a great second half of life ahead. Let's get going. There's no need to turn around and, and, and somehow think, oh, I've been wasting my life. Some people have been wasting their life and they should have a crisis and it should lead them to Christ. And they should say, there's nothing on this planet that will make value, but I will give myself to Christ. The second blessing that we get from orienting our life toward Christ is this, the clarity of focus in our life's pursuits. A clarity of focus in our life's pursuits. How do you choose to spend the days of your life? How do you choose to spend the days of your life? Much of our life seems to be decided for us. As children, we have to eat, sleep, and eventually go to school some form of schooling for the vast majority of our first 18 years. If we go to college, another four years. Master's degree, another two. For those of you that know Tim Messikep, I saw him yesterday just completing a master's degree and going for a PhD in mathematics. Okay? The vast majority of his life is organized for him going to school. If your parents love the Lord, you not only have to eat and sleep and go to school or schooling, you have to go to church. And someday you will thank them for it. Then maybe you go to a trade school or college. Perhaps you enter the job market directly. Once you have a job, you tend to be locked into working for the next 40 or so years. Maybe 50 or 60 these days. Along the way comes a husband or wife or children. Then comes retirement. The golden years. Then comes death. <laughs> so it's all planned out for us. But the question remains, how do you actually spend your days? Do you just go to school so you can finish? Do you just do your, do your schoolwork so you can get done? Do you have a family so you won't be alone? Do you go to work so you can retire, have a vacation? In Christ, all of life can be opportunities to create things of eternal value. Look at verse 21, please. 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. The, the lens, if you will, of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and in the King James, or the, uh, the New King James, mammon, probably best translated treasures or stuff of value. It's not just money that's being spoken of there. And all of this goes together. It's all one thought. It's not just a whole series of disconnected principles. He says, your eyes are a lens. This is a picture taken with what's called a fisheye lens, and it, it does what you see. It, it goes real wide to capture a lot of stuff on the, on the, on the negative or on the, on the uh, image in the camera. Your eyes are a lens through which you see the world. And Jesus is saying, what is the value that is informing that lens? Is your eyesight always focused on just food and clothing and the stuff of life? Or is your eyesight, your vision, your value focused on Christ? He says it, it's, it can't be both. There's no such thing as loving Christ and the stuff of this world that you have to come down on one side or the other. You do come down on one side or the other. If you have chosen to invest your life in the righteousness of Christ, and, your, and the work of Christ, then your perspective, your vision, the lens through which you see the world will be godly. And then you will make choices about activities and jobs and relationships and the investment of your money and time in such a way that you will accomplish the work of Christ. But if your vision is focused on stuff, all you'll be about is getting more stuff. The beauty of saying, I'm going to live for Christ, is it gives you a perspective to choose your behavior. To, how do you choose between one job and another? How do you choose between living in this neighborhood or that neighborhood, driving this car or that car, uh, educating my kids in this way or that way, going to this college or that college? How do you make choices? If your vision is focused on how can I best serve the Lord, then that clarifies a lot of the choices of life, brings us back to say, okay, well, this could obviously work here, and that won't work there. It gives us a perspective. One commentator put it this way, anybody who divides his allegiance between God and mammon has already given it to mammon, since God can be served only with an entire and exclusive devotion. This is simply because he is God, and he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. We can only build treasure in heaven when we are focused on the work of God here and now. That's a great blessing to have that clarity of vision. The third blessing is this, the freedom of not worrying about life. I've, I've quoted these verses and preached these verses many times, but, but I, have, I feel like I have a fresh appreciation of them this week in the word freedom. Look at verse 25. He says, therefore. And the word therefore is always kind of a summary. He's been talking about 
putting up treasure in heaven, having a, a clear focus on Christ. And then he says, therefore, it's kind of like a, an application point. Therefore, don't worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. He says, look, you can be free from worry if your focus is on building up treasure in heaven. Look at verse 31. Therefore, he says it again, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. And then in verse 34, therefore, do not worry. Jesus said, I came that you might have peace. And this is part of his peace. If verse 33 is true for you, there does not need to be worry in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now this is written as a command. The command is, do not worry. Do you want to know if it's a sin to worry? The answer is yes. It's a sin to worry, first and foremost, because Christ says, don't do it. But it's also a sin to worry because of the other things you have to ignore in order to worry. And the first of those is in verse 25. When your life is organized, organized around God's kingdom and righteousness, you realize that life is more than physical. Do not worry about your life, verse 25, what you will eat or drink. What you were put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So what if I'm hungry or cold? I'm accomplishing God's work. That's what matters. The first night that Sue and I were apart in China, she was cold and I was hot because we were in two separate places. And I'd rather be hot than cold. But you know, ultimately, it's just a good story to tell because we really didn't care. Because we were there to do something for the Lord and, and, and the joy of doing something for the Lord said, well, yeah, this other stuff is an inconvenience. Okay, so I got to eat some stuff that was swimming not too long ago. That's okay. We had some food that was good and some that was not so good. That's okay. When we went to Africa, we both got violently ill at the same time. It's just another great story to tell. When we were first in the ministry, we lived in a room in the church. There was a room, it was a studio apartment. <laughs> the room and the bathroom, and the kitchen was down the hall. And then they moved, then the kitchen got finished right next to us, which was the church kitchen. You know what means if your kitchen is a church kitchen? That means you can't leave the dishes out from breakfast in the morning. You know what? We didn't care. We're in the ministry. Wow, how cool is that? Rick and Lisa Kane are going to be with us next week. Some of you don't know their story. Uh, they've been serving the Lord for a number of years, and they went to Thailand. And she got in a terrible car accident that left her in a coma for three months. And then it's taken, I don't know how many years has it been. Has it been four years since the accident? Maybe they, it's probably a couple of years in the initial recovery and they've been back in Thailand a couple of years. Um, they could have stayed home and said, you know, 
Lisa's just never going to be quite the same, and we need therapy and help and so on. And nobody would have criticized them an inch. But they said, no, we're going back to Thailand. I don't know what her physical condition is today. They've stopped writing about it. I think she's improving gradually, gradually, gradually. I mean, she had to learn to walk again and, you know, things like that. And, and her mind is not... She sat here at the piano and played and sang for us the first time she was here. And, you know, there's a lot of that that's gone. But, you know, when they, when they got on the plane after the initial accident and recovery time, which was about three months in a coma, another three months of recovery... They had led two nurses to the Lord. And those were the only two people they led to the Lord in that time of, uh, say, a couple of years in Thailand. And when they got on the plane, she said to him, this has been worth it. Life is more than physical. So hard for us to get beyond the physical. We have an ache, we have a pain, we're hungry, we're too full, whatever it is. If our vision is focused on serving Christ, we need to be able to let stuff go, and we will be able to let stuff go because life is more than physical. Your perspective on the importance of the spiritual dimension in life has consequences both now and for eternity. Listen to this, these words of Jesus. He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness or, or wanting things, for your life does not consist in the abundance of the things you have. He who dies with the most toys does not win. Then he spoke a parable, a, a, an illustration to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? I have so much stuff. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And for most people in America, that is the goal. I want to be self-sufficient. I want to work for myself. I want to be totally in control and totally secure. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's hard to let go of the physical. There's no doubt about that. God says our life has a spiritual dimension that takes on its greatest significance when you die. Most of us believe that, and that's why we've put our faith in Christ. If you're here today and you've never believed in Christ, you need to, because someday your soul will be required of you. But for those of us who have believed in Christ, why can we trust God for our spiritual eternity, but not for these few years here and now, to let go of the stuff of life and serve Him with it, if we would organize our life around God's kingdom and God's righteousness, we will understand life is more than physical. There's another truth that helps us with this, and that is we need to realize that God is in control. 
if we really orient our life around doing God's work, we see this truth of verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add 18 inches to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that Solomon was not clothed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. God is in control of the world, and he is working things out for our good. Jesus said, if you are so good at making things happen, then grow yourself taller. I'll stand here and watch. He said, if you can't do that, why do you think you can run the rest of the world? He says, what is the value of worrying? If you can't make yourself taller, what's the value of worrying about other stuff? He says, there is no value. You can fight and kick and pout and cry all you want, but you cannot make your life secure other than the security that God provides. And so he says, rest in God's care. God's in control. Also realize that God is a faithful father. Verse 26 through 32, especially in verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. And then he goes on to verse 33, which is both a command and a promise. And at some point, you have to decide whether God is a faithful Father. You have to decide this. We know that it's true. There's a, there's a famous truth in Romans chapter 6 where he says, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you died as to sin. It cannot control you. Now he says you need to decide that this is true. See, the great truths of God are true no matter what our perspective is, but they don't come into our life until we take a look at it and say, you know what? God is a faithful Father. I will trust him. If I were to ask you today, do you believe God to be unfaithful? I would expect the majority of you to go, oh, no, 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 God, God's good, God's good, God's good. Then why do you need to worry about your future? Well, that's different. Is God a good father? Is he a faithful father? He is. And so we don't need to worry. It's a great blessing to have the freedom from worry, and God gives that to us. The fourth and last blessing that I want to look at today is this. I've called it the simplicity of God's life plan. You want to have a plan for your life? Here it is. Number one is what we looked at last week. Pursue obedience and service to Christ. Verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because if you do that, according to verse 33, God will give to you all the other things that you need. Now that'll be according to his determination of need, not yours. 
But in my experience, God is not a miser. Pursue obedience and service to Christ. Number two that we've been looking at this week, put away tomorrow's concerns. Those three verses we looked at, verse 25, verse 31, verse 33, do not, or verse 34, do not worry, do not worry. Put away, put away is the New Testament term for saying no to sin, and then the put on is saying yes to righteousness. God in his graciousness doesn't just say stop worrying, he gives us two other things to do in its place. And the first and most important is this, pray. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And verse 7 goes on to say that God will give you his peace. You really need to ask yourself the question, do I honestly pray about all of the concerns of my life? Or do I pray a little and then worry a lot? I had a decision to make many, many years ago, and, and I knew this truth and was attempting to practice it, so I would sit and, and I would pray, and then I would think about all the possible scenarios. Well, this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And after about an hour, I went, you know what? I think I'm supposed to pray all of those thoughts to God. Because he says, if I give him my concerns, he'll give me my peace. He'll give me his peace. And I haven't got his peace yet, so that must mean I haven't really given him my concerns. And so pray and pray and pray and pray and pray until you think there's nothing else to pray about. And when the concern comes back, pray again. But there's one more thing we can do in the light of tomorrow's concerns. And that is to persist in doing today's tasks. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. But what should you do in exchange of that? Sufficient for each day is its own trouble. Charles Spurgeon said it much more eloquently than I can. Today will require all the vigor we have to deal with its immediate evils. There can be no need to import cares from the future. I should pray about tomorrow and what's coming, but what I also should do is do today's work today. I can sit here immobilized with fear about the future and do nothing for the future and nothing for today. And then you know what happens when tomorrow comes? Sure enough, it's messed up. Do you think tomorrow would have been different if you'd have done some stuff today? Could have been. Because God says, if you'll take care of today, I'll take care of tomorrow. Persist in doing today's task. I know that one of the, the characteristics of depression is we don't feel like doing things when we wake up in the morning. And so we pull the covers over our heads and I'm just going to sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep. And you know what? Tomorrow everything will be in the same condition it was in today. And God says, today has its own evil. Now get up and work on it. Get up and work on it. Are you a student? 
then do today's work today. Don't worry about good grades tomorrow because good grades tomorrow are the product of hard work today. That's that. Are you an employee? Are you an employee? Then do your assigned tasks with excellence and joy. The promotion or raise you are coveting will only be given if you do today's work well today. Are you a husband or wife? Then love the one God has given you today. Be true to them today. Do for them today what you ought to do for them. Tomorrow's relationship is the result of today's love, not of our worry. Are you a leader of a church ministry? Then do what you ought to do each and every day, and God will bring whatever success he wants to come. Are you trying to help someone make good decisions in Christ? Oh, I'm so worried about so-and-so, and I'm so worried about so-and-so. These people aren't making good decisions. Not, that's not a foolish worry. But what should you do with it? You should pray about it, and then you should give the good counsel and give the good help today. What should I do today? God says, there's nothing for you to do but pray. Well, then I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be busy about it because it is what I can do today. I'm not going to say, oh, all I can do is pray and then actually not pray. Has God called you to give some money today? And you say, yes, but if I give the money today, what about tomorrow? God says, you do today. I'll take care of tomorrow. Do you get the picture? Do what God wants you to do today, and he will take care of tomorrow. 